Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Okay, folks, uh, my name's Dave. I'm a sexaholic. And I'm going to be your leader for this session. Welcome to this session on State the Name of Topic. No, that's not it. Welcome to this session on the Road of Happy Destiny, facilitated break. No, I'm, not, I'm going to get this. What does the spiritual me look like? All right? And uh, if you would, please, in, uh, in the spirit of the fifth tradition, carry this message. This session is going to be recorded. So everything I've said so far, they're going to think, why am I listening to this and I buy this CD? The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you don't wish to be recorded, you may be participate by listening or maybe attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Will you please join me in the opening uh, with the serenity prayer, please? Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. SA Purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for SA membership is the desire to stop lusting and to become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are fully self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, or organization, institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others achieve sexual sobriety. In our sharing guidelines, which you've probably heard, Thus far, let's hear it again. Because our common welfare becomes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not crosstalk. That is, we share with the group as a whole. Rather than addressing any individual member, we speak in the I and not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meetings focus on the SA approach to recovery so that whenever possible, we avoid mention of titles and authors that are not SA-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language, and when sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. I am your... No, I'm your friend and sexaholic, Dave. Um, and we will close uh, at 
this one up at 345. And I was jo half joking earlier. Um, again, uh, for those who came in late, uh, I'm Dave McClintock, and I'm a sexaholic. Family. Um, we're going to talk about the road to happy destiny. And I don't know who put the title of what does a spiritual me look like in. I, I think that I had a conversation with John Bunt. So up front, you know, John and I really joke around a lot. We do. We know each other really well. We've slept with each other uh, in the same bed. And uh, last, uh, well, this is embarrassing, but, you know, last uh, uh, summer in, in Denver, the delegates had a meeting early on, and we all had to fly out there early, you know. And, and so uh, there were two double beds, and John and I lost the toss. Yes? And he snores. Can you imagine that? So we uh, got to know each other. And he said, why don't you do a workshop, Dave, on, on 11th step. And, he said, and uh, I'll figure out a title for it. Don't you worry about it. You just show up. And I showed up. So this is what I, and uh, a spiritual me. What does that look like? And I told him when I got here and I saw the title, John, I have no idea what that, but. What I did do before I got here was I got my AA big book out, and, you know, fortunately, I had some help. So let me tell you a little bit about this. This is what, uh, this kind of parallels my experience, but the words are so much better than what I could come up with. There is a solution on page 25, those of you who happen to have your big books with you. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to do but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence, of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences, asterisks which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe, the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do for ourselves. So I got intrigued. And I just wanted to share the uh, spiritual experience, asterisk. And then uh, I think I might let other folks share how their spiritual me looks like. Back away, back on page 567 is the, uh, in Appendix 2, is uh, spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening used many times in this blue book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality changed sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many forms, many different forms. Yet it's true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everybody, this isn't the case. First few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming 
God consciousness, in quotes, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands, acts like this should be millions, right, of alcoholics and sexaholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. And I'm going to skip over some of that. I hate to skip over some of the really good stuff, but there's uh, going to the last paragraph. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable or sexaholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided that he or she does not close his or her mind to all spiritual concepts. They can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And it has a great quote then by Herbert Spencer. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, probably women too. That principle is contempt before investigation. So what's a spiritual me look like? It's going to be pretty quick. Um, I thought it looked like going to church. I thought it looked like going and getting my Masters in Divinity. I thought it looked like building my ego. I thought it meant that when I got humble to... uh, get another master's in spiritual formation and direction. And I thought all that stuff would really make a spiritual me. And I'm sort of like that great St. Thomas Aquinas, not nearly of his stature. But what I came to realize was that all that I had done didn't mean flip. Okay. Because it was about me. So I think what I found in the spiritual life is that it's less about me It's more about you, and it's more about God, of my understanding. And on page 395 in this blue book, it tells me what my purpose in life is. You know, in spite of the great ads and the great movies by Monty Python on the meaning of life, which if you have not seen and need a Rule 62 thing for the day, uh, you might want to watch that movie. That's not a program literature, but it certainly helps. I would suggest that, uh, that the meaning of life for me is in that, uh, in that great quote that says to be of maximum benefit to God and others. So the 11th step prayer then kind of becomes my mantra. If I begin to pray that, kind of allowed to start with, read it to start with, I don't care how you want to do it, but if you read it long enough and if you talk it long enough and if you pray it when you get up every morning and, and you pray 3, 7, 11 and Start your day out by doing that and hand it over before you get a chance to take it back. I think that's sort of what having a a spiritual me is about. It's not about having and holding on to me. I did that for a long, long time. And how well did that work? Here we are. We're all together in the same room. So, you know, my good news is that that, uh, just being here with you and being able to serve uh, this fellowship in the inverted pyramid of service and be part of it, Democratic anarchy. I, uh, those are all authorized words that I think we can use. That it, uh, 
that it's just a joy. And what happens? The music starts to play. And it gets wider and deeper and more open. And the light begins to shine through us. And all of a sudden, in the back of your head, there seems to be this spotlight on that comes out through your eyes and through your face. And when you start talking about it, the music gets louder. And that's really the good news of what we're about. So what I'm going to do is because I want to hear you and what your spiritual me happens to look like. I'd like to just turn it over. Open mic. We're going to 345. There's a little clock on my uh, telephone right here. And I have not the answers. I have the experience. And I'd love to get to know some more of you. But you've got to know a little bit about me. Sharon. Come on up. I feel like I should come up dancing or something down the aisle, like liturgical dance or something. <clears throat> My name is Cruz. I'm a sexaholic. The spirit in me right now is um, in a state of change. Um, I'm a good practitioner of my religion. I know when to bow, sit, kneel, lay on the ground, know what to do. And I've done that since I was a kid. And uh, with my step two, what's happening is my whole image of God and religion is changing. And I like what uh, the lady shared last night about one hand was religion and the other hand is spirituality. And then you bring them together and that's, that's prayer. And uh, for me, that's always been an issue because, you know, this is the way you should pray. This is the book you should use. This is the words you should use. This is the direction you should face. This is the, what you should drink before you pray. And what's happening with me right now is that God, my higher power, is shattering all that. He's shattering at all that my spirituality right now is telling me don't do this on this day, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, eat this. <laughs> you know, because, um, and, and it's kind of scary because of uh, the obligation that I've always had that you have to do these things for God to love you or for you to love God. And all that is being changed in me right now. Um, I haven't fulfilled certain uh, Sabbath obligations in my religion for, for a few weeks. And I don't feel guilty about it because my higher power loves me. And if I don't do a certain thing or if I eat this, that kind of God, I don't need that kind of God that's going to punish me for not doing something or not doing perfectly. So there's some fear there, especially with the movie... Um, uh, the Road and the uh, 2012 and all these apocalyptic movies coming out. It's like, oh my gosh, I better do everything right because I only have a few years you know, before the world ends and am I going to burn in hell and all this kind of stuff. And, and so for me, I, I really have to, I never thought I would say this, but a, a spiritual practice for me right now is actually I'm going against my religion as always taught me. And it's kind of scary because I'm going the opposite way of I'm, what my mind and my, I'm used to. 
But what I'm learning is that the bottom line for me is that God still loves me. And even if I'm going down the wrong path right now, He's still going to love me. <laughs> and I'm learning that He's loved me even when I was acting out. He loved me when I was in that adult bookstore. He loved me when I was with that anonymous partner. He loved me. And so I just have to constantly come to that. And um, a lot of this spiritual awakening happening happened through step four when I realized that I thought I was defective and that um, the biggest person I resented was myself. So when I did, uh, as I'm finishing up step eight now, I was going to put the last person uh, to make amends to was going to be myself. And my sponsor, you know, in his wisdom and his experience said, why don't you try putting yourself on top of the list? And of course, no, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't do that. It's about the others. And, and I, I took his wisdom and then putting myself on the top of that list and knowing that I am lovable, that I am good, that I did bad things and that I'm not a, a bad person. So with me, that's the spiritual me. So the spiritual me that I, I continue, I hope I continue to see is that I can pray the way that I feel God, which means that sometimes I experience, I experience God more in the rooms than at church. That sometimes I pray by just walking along the water instead of being on my knees for 30 minutes. And that that's okay for me. So I, I hope that as, I, as God shatters the image that I had of Him, that He will build the image of what He wants me to have of Him. So uh, pray for me because uh, it's still kind of scary, but I, I know that I'm not alone in this spiritual journey. Thank you. Hi, I'm John. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, grateful to be here. Grateful for the convention. Um, I want to thank you for the lead. Uh, reminded me of my own journey with spirituality, I guess. And, um, you know, my journey began with exactly what was mentioned, contempt. Uh, until I read that big book, I had no idea that I was the problem with gaining spirituality. You know, I spent my whole life trying to fix and arrange things, manipulate things, uh, lied to do that, um, you know, manipulated people, all to get an outcome. And, you know, I was somewhat successful in my own stupid way. Um, and I thought that that was how I had to live my life. Uh, the beauty has been, and as others have pointed out, not so much a crashing change. I mean, when I... I was afraid of step three because I thought I can't, I can't have this, I need this giant switch to move to make me religious, spiritual, and I confused the two, of course, and that my life would be forever after different uh, wings, paintings on ceilings, uh, spiritual hands reaching down to touch me, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I was fighting it, and fighting it, and fighting it, and fighting it. And then I read in the big, maybe it was 12 and 12, I remember there was a phrase, just give up the debating society for a while. Just suspend your disbelief for a while, because maybe the problem is you. And I saw myself in that. I said, okay, you know, I had to suspend my disbelief when I came into the program. I have to try this. And I did. My sponsor was smart enough and helpful enough to tell me, don't worry about step three. Are you willing? That was enough. We move forward. 
what's happened since then has been amazing, and, and I'll, I'll just point to a couple of uh, things that happened. Sponsee, in, incurable problem with his job, complicated problem, uh, bordering on his program, um, huge, possibly threatening his job, his income, his marriage, all, you know, there's a catastrophe waiting to happen, and he turned to me for advice. Now, in the past, I would have come up with three or four alternatives. We would have mapped them out on an Excel spreadsheet, given them points, and figured it all out. And I was lucky that I had enough sense and enough of my higher power talking to me to say, you know what, I can't handle this. And I reached out for help to the people in my group. And we have such a thing as a, we call it a check meeting, right? When you're running out of answers and you need another help from some other sponsors, we can sit down and do that. I arranged the check meeting for my sponsee. I asked him if he was willing to do it. He said yes, begrudgingly. He was not happy about it, but he thought we had to try it. As soon as I asked for the check meeting, he came into the meeting that night and told me the problem had vanished at work. It had solved itself. He was out of the problem. It had mysteriously gone away. Coincidence? Yeah, it could be. I'm afraid to talk to my wife about something. I've done something. I, I'm, I'm fearful of talking to her because in my heart of hearts, my deepest fear is she's going to reject me and she's going to leave me. And somehow I pray on it and somehow I ask for help and somehow I realize that what I need to do is talk to her. And when I do that, something which two years ago would have caused her to not talk to me for a month and maybe leave for a while is okay. You cannot convince me that these are coincidences. I, that would have been my first answer a few years ago. I do not believe that there are any coincidences any longer. I do believe that I have a higher power that is always available. I do believe that I have a higher power that is more infinitely greater than any problem I could ever bring. And what that has brought me, and that's the real change in me, is peace. I don't have to feverishly work through these problems anymore. I don't have to feverishly figure out what lie to tell or who to manipulate to get something done. I have to turn it over to God. And when I do that, and it happens over and over again, it works. And that's made me a more peaceful person. And that's made me more accepting the next time of turning it over even more quickly. So that's what it looks like for me. Thanks. Hi, I'm Dennis. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. I was raised in religion all my life, but for me, my religion didn't help me kick my addiction. I kicked it once for about a year. Willpower and religion, that's going to that's make it. And guess what? It didn't do it. It came back worse. I have just over two years sobriety now. A little over two years ago, I just came to the point where I said, I'm powerless. I don't know what to do. I have no control in my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So turning it over to God, I said, what do I need to do? I got hooked up with some great SA people. I remember walking into my first meeting, and they, they didn't pressure me. But they allowed me the opportunity to share. 
And I said, well, here I go. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what it is, but telling the truth has really helped me. And so that's what I'm finding every day that uh, I have to admit. That's why I started, first of all, every day. God, I am powerless over this stuff. And over character defects. Some of those character defects have become addictions, co-addictions in my life. And once I turn them over to God and say, I'm powerless, help me today. Make it one day. One day. That's how I got two years. One day at a time. And I found out my higher power doesn't look like my dad. (laughs) You know? My dad tainted my view of, of God, of my higher power. Well, if I do this, he'll be happy with me. If I don't do these certain things or certain traditions, certain actions, he's going to beat me with a stick because that's how my dad treated me. That's because my dad had his addictions that he didn't know how to cope with. But you know what? I decided, as far as my family, I can start breaking those cycles. That generation stuff, the doctor was talking about how it gets passed down generation to generation. There's some genetics there. But with my higher power, I'm breaking those things. I'm starting a new thing in my family that I can't do myself. And so I am so grateful for God loving me through all this stuff. And here's the truth that He's shown me recently. Because my higher power um, gives me the Bible as my guide. And in Hebrews 13, He tells me, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That gives me a lot of hope. My God, my higher power will be with me each day. Whether I do good, whether I do bad. But as long as I keep seeking Him, I'm starting to find joy and release. And I'm starting to be able to use that twelfth step of giving out because He's given me so much. So that's for me what a spiritual man looks like. A guy that will be honest. He'll put it out there before people and before God. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing today. If I'll do that, my God is faithful to help me recover one day at a time. Thanks. My name is Glenn. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I was thinking this weekend what um, my spirituality means to me, and I think clearly means two things in working on my program. One is humility, and one is honesty. And um, I, I was thinking a lot about the um, speaker last night, um, Harvey, and something his wife said um, that. Uh, he was very observant on one hand and doing these terrible things on the other. And I've lived maybe the last 20, 15 years of my life like that, being very, very observant in my religion and then doing these terrible things. So I was living this double lifestyle. And um, I'm sure some of that was guilt, trying to make myself seem like I was um, a better follower of my faith than I was. Um, but I'm realizing the key is... Um, is humility because when I'm tempted, I'm a compulsive relapser. So when I'm tempted, a lot of times um, I don't want to check it in. 
and I realize that that's pride that um you know that I'm <clears throat> unwilling to admit to somebody that I'm that I'm having a moment of weakness and golly I've already checked this in twice today do I have to check it in three times uh, some guy was talking today about his sponsor checks things in 10 to 20 times a day I'm like good gosh I thought I have it my sponsor's making me check in three times a day, and I think it's terrible. <laughs> Not terrible, but I'm like, man, that's a lot. And this guy's checking, making 20 phone calls a day, and I'm like, you're not even where you need to be, Glenn, you know. Um, my tendency, I'm going to speak of my experience, my tendency is to go to extremes. Um, I don't feel like I should become less observant in my religion because I'm trying to work my program. I feel like I should be authentic, be balanced. Um that someone has spoken several times about putting program. I heard this several times on the weekend. Putting the program in first place in your life, and a lot of times I struggle. It's like, what? Well, that that seems like idolatry. How could I put something in the place of my faith and everything? I've never had an issue with the program being an idol in my life. What I've had an issue with being an idol in my life is lust. That was the idol, and as, and still to this day, I struggle with that being an idol in my life. And so placing the program first is is a proper ordering of things. And I've finally been able to accept that this weekend because that was something I struggled with, you know. Um, and the real idol that I've struggled with for many years has been lust. So that's what I need to get rid of, you know. So I need to place the program first in all things, you know. And then everything else will take care of itself because I think even my sponsor told me this. He's like, um, you know, if... if if you're acting out, all that stuff is 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 lost anyway. I mean, um, so those are the things I've learned this weekend. So thanks. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Steve. Hey, everybody. Uh, I had to make notes because I I'm ADD and I'm all over the place. Not that anybody here knows about that. Uh, first thing I, I think about when I think about spirituality is I was born a Jew, raised a Jew, and uh, when I married I converted and became a Catholic and spent most of my life uh, avoiding um, guilt in two religions. Um, the God of my youth was angry, uh, a taskmaster, and a disciplinarian. The God that I came to know in my new life uh, loved me, uh, but I was told I was going to hell. Uh, my life uh, in addiction was a life of um, doing things without consequence. Nothing I did had consequences. So that um, rather than tell the story, it's nothing I did had consequences. Yet, everything I did, coincidentally, kept me from dying, going to jail, hurting myself uh, in horrible ways. I hurt myself in, in many ways, and hurting others in horrible ways. There were a lot of coincidences. Lots. I heard somebody else speak about coincidences. Um, my first meeting, my first SA meeting, I couldn't run out fast enough. And a very um, tall very thin guy um, stood blocking the door to stop me. And here I am, um, fire plug-sized linebacker, 
who looked at this guy and said, yeah, you're not like you're letting me out. Uh, I couldn't get out of that room. And he spent time, um, the best way of describing it, ministering to me. I had no clue at the time that he was a brother, a uh, Catholic brother. Um, and there have been a series of, con- of these kinds of coincidences since I recently went to a workshop. We had an all-day workshop in our area. And uh, for the first time since I um, uh, started switch hitting, I went to bat the other side of the plate, uh, being Catholic. Um, I actually did a confession. I don't believe in confession. I don't believe that confession cleans the soul or cleanses the soul. And yet I sat down with the priest and I did, well, this guy told me, this was, it wasn't just a confession, it lasted over a half hour. He, he told me who I am, what I was, what I did. Well, how did he know? He was one of us. He knew me better than anyone um, in my whole life knew me in that half hour. Um, and helped me more than anyone else did. Um, that day, I stopped being angry at my earthly father. And I stopped being angry at my spiritual father. And my spiritual father is the one who made all the coincidences in my life happen that I never recognized. Now I recognize them daily. And the most important words anyone in this program ever gave to me, well, the most important words anybody ever gave to to me in this program that involves spirituality are coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Uh, and, And I cherish that and I keep that with me every day. Thanks. My name is David F., and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, a few years ago, I had I needed to make a phone call because I was in a situation where um, where there was some a woman that had triggered me, and I was frustrated by the situation. I didn't want to be triggered; I just wanted it to go away. And and what I really wanted to do instead of instead of surrendering it was I wanted to gripe about it. And so I made this phone call, and and the other end of the phone, there's a there's another member of the program, and, and he listens for a couple minutes, and then there's a silence on the phone for a second, and this gentle voice says, so what do you think God's trying to tell you? And Dave, I don't think I've ever been so angry at you in my life. <laughs> but that question has stuck with me, <laughs> has stuck with me in my recovery, and I ask myself that question quite often when I get frustrated or when things aren't going right. What, what is it that I'm missing that God wants me to know? And, um, you know, I know we all walk our own path in recovery and uh, different people have different experiences. But for me, this really has been a spiritual change. I've always been active in, in my church and... Uh, and I've felt frustrated at church at times because I thought I had to fix myself and then I could go to God. And that's what I heard at church. But now that I've learned that that's backwards, that going to God allows me some healing and allows Him to fix me, I go to church and I hear that 
oh, well, it was my problem all along. They've been teaching it right. I just missed it. <laughs> and and so, so it's been interesting to me because my recovery has been very well integrated into my religious beliefs, and it's been um, a very healing thing for me, and it's provided me opportunities to serve and to take these principles back with me to my brothers and sisters. And some of them I've shared my story with, some of them I haven't, but I've shared principles of recovery with, and it's been a great 12-step opportunity as well. And that's, um, the you know, for me, the, the spiritual me is the one who stops and takes a breath and just listens for a minute and waits on God to show me what's next. And he does when I'm willing to listen. Thanks. Good afternoon. My name is L.D. Sexaholic. Um, sober by the grace of God since October 2006. Um, when I, I was just standing out in the lobby before this meet, well, actually a couple of minutes after the meeting had started, I came in late was trying to decide what meeting to go to, and I saw the title, uh, Road of Happy Destiny, What Does a Spiritual Me Look Like? And I thought, that sounds interesting. And this line from the 12 and 12 uh, came to mind. I, I love the literature. Uh, there's amazing um, insight and guidance in uh, all of our um, books, the 12 and 12, the big book and the white book. This is from the chapter on step five in the 12 and 12. Um, and it's kind of my... Um, goal, I think, and I'll elaborate a little bit. It's just one sentence that says, uh, well, two sentences. Another great dividend we may expect from confiding our defects to another human being is humility. uh, Someone mentioned humility, a word often misunderstood. To those who've made progress in SA, it amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we really are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. Um, And that, for me, is where I want to be on a daily basis. Um, there's honesty in there. Someone else mentioned that. Being honest with myself about uh, my defects, what they are, how they crop up, how they affect my relationship with my wife, with other people, with myself, with my higher power. Uh, not denying that out of pride or fear. Not denying it to myself or God or to others. Um, but also doing whatever is um, necessary to move forward from that place. Um, I'm going to say um, I make a, a lot of phone calls, so I don't make I don't make 20 a day. But uh, that's one thing that has really helped me with humility. If I'm constantly calling other members of the program and saying, "Hey, this is what resentment's going on with me today," and and I don't I don't just say you know I'm feeling resentful. If I'm going to call somebody and usually share resentment, I've already taken an inventory and I'm going to tell them you know like it does in the fifth step, who I'm mad at, why, what it affects, and where I'm wrong. I don't just call them and say, I'm angry at so-and-so and just kind of get this catharsis out and then hang up. Um, that, and that was talked to me by my sponsor. You know, I'd call him up and he, you know, I'd have something going on. Well, where are you wrong? God. <laughs> you know, so I learned, you know, I already had to have this figured out. Not always. Sometimes I have to have him help me see it. But I know that that's, that's where I'm trying to get to is where I'm wrong because, you know, that's where my humility comes from, um, you know, being able to share that. Uh, the big thing is, and the phrase road of happy destiny is really interesting. You know, I go through the steps and I get these tools that I get to use now on for the rest of my life as I understand it. 
uh, and it's just you know it's just work. It's just a lot of practice and a lot of work. Um, and but it but it gets amazingly better uh, con- uh, constantly. And my one of my things that I need that I have to focus on is not getting discouraged. You know, if I find myself not making certain pro- progress in a certain area, like I have a, a really hard time being judgmental of my wife. Uh, and that's just, you know, that's something I'm constantly praying about, constantly surrendering, constantly calling people about, taking inv- ten-step inventories on, making amends to her about. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's where I am with it. I'm, I'm doing the work and I'm making, you know, small progress. Uh, but if I get um, bogged down in uh, shame and self-loathing, I'm not, which is what, which is what I'm tempted to do, I'm not going to move any further. Because uh, I'll just I'll say, oh, what the heck, you know, forget it. Um, you know, I, I just keep trying, and uh, and you know, progress does come. But that's that's a big thing for me is to is to accept this is where I am and keep doing the work and trust. You know that if I am doing the work, God's gonna, um, you know, keep growing me, and uh, and it and it has it has happened. So thanks for letting me share. I'm David. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, thanks for the lead and, and all the sharing. It's been uh, getting a lot out of what everybody shares. Uh, two things I wanted to share. One is uh, uh, others have, have talked about this as well. Um, that I need to look at what message God has for me. And one of the things that I've uh, just developed for myself over the years, because it's so easy for me, even if I even if I do have healthy prayer in the morning, it's so easy for me throughout the day just to, to lose that question. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to others or sponsees or something, I can I can reconnect with that, you know, what does God want me to do next, which is the question I want to ask myself throughout the day, but often I don't do it. But something I've developed is that whenever something goes wrong, you know, if I stub my toe or hurt myself in some way, um, I use that as an opportunity to to say thank you, God, that it wasn't worse. And also, thank you for reminding me that you're there because, you know, and then I, then I get reminded, okay, God's trying to tell me something. And usually if I stop and, and ask myself that question, there's something that, that, that I need to hear at that moment that, that, that God's telling me. Um, so I find that very helpful. The other thing is, uh, in terms of what, what, what prayer is, um, I learned in, in our religion, there's a lot of, uh, I, I, I learned to do what I saw and what I heard and, uh, that was to say a lot of prayers that are um, in Hebrew. I can't say whether it works for other people or not, but for me it wasn't a spiritual experience to simply go through the process of saying, well, there's X number of things to say and therefore I have to say them. Uh, when I got into recovery, uh, at some point, a couple of years in recovery, I started to realize that what was the prayers actually consisted of was really all about my recovery. And for me now, uh, for me to focus on the actual meaning of the words and discover that they're really all about connecting with God, being grateful for the blessings I have, uh, thanking God for those uh, those blessings, asking for freedom from my addiction, uh, connecting you know in all kinds of different ways with with actual communicating with God. And so when I'm able to do that, which is not all the time, but when I can do that, uh, I find that that uh, that is uh, a spiritual experience, a spiritual process for me. So I'm grateful for that. Thanks. My name is Matt, and I am a sexaholic. <laughs> I heard someone say in a 12-step meeting about a year ago that um, religion is for people who don't want to go to hell and spirituality is for those of us who've already been there and, and don't want to go back. And that's, that's about where I am. Uh, I feel like I have been through hell with, with the acting out and uh, I don't want to go back. Um, 
first coming into the program, I heard a lot of people, you know, when we'd have meetings about uh, higher power or spirituality, a lot of people say they were angry at God. I didn't understand this coming in because to me that was like being angry at the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus or something made up because I, I truly had no faith at all. Uh, I just thought religion was something great for uh, you know little kids so that has some structure, but that it had no real impact in anything real. And uh, I'm just so glad to be uh, proven wrong on that. And one of the things that that I found coming into recovery, at first it was complete blind faith. It was I had I had no belief that it would work, but I knew what I was doing didn't work, and I just had to, you know, each each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion. It really felt like it'd be off the edge into oblivion, and that was blind faith. Taking the actions, people saying, "Get down on your knees." pray, it felt so awkward uh, to get on my knees and pray, um, but I just did it on blind faith. And over the you know the months and the years that I found that, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not stepping off into oblivion. The surrender is killing the obsession. It became real faith, uh, not this blind faith. It was real concrete faith. And I think that's where my spirituality is at right now. I know that I have these tools. I know that I'm going to continue to be triggered. Uh, it's not going to go away, but that I have these spiritual tools that I can pick up and use at any time. And uh, I'm just really grateful to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. I know there are more of you out there that are spiritual me's. I wanted to share one thing with you that did come to me while I was sitting listening, that I think there really is a place, and I think in, as Bill sees it, he talks to us a little bit about um, self-examination, prayer and meditation. Okay, If you practice those individually, that's good. But if you practice them together, you know, they provide an unshakable foundation for the spiritual life. And yeah, page 98. All right, there we go. And, so I, and I just want to share that, that for me, that really has come clear in my own experience. Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, I started uh, what I thought were pretty good times having meditation. Then I walked, sort of walked into the wilderness meditating and uh, felt like I'd gone around in circles uh, whenever I started to get quiet. It's my son. My son playing there. Um, just the simple fact that he's here, friends. It's part of what a spiritual me looks like. But that whole journey through the wilderness is so important in the spiritual life. I've got to come to a place where I understand that I cannot do this alone. I have deep and cherished relationships with people like you in this program. And it is an incredible gift to be able to come and share 
our experience, strength, and hope together because I walk away a changed person every time I come here. And I've been to a lot of conventions. And I think that's the gift. If I only learn to ask for help, you know, and my stubbornness and, and self-pride has, has caused me to just, you know, miss it for a while. But the God of my understanding steps back and just says, it's okay when you're ready. And the readiness is, is all. You know, because I, I, I think that the great pain and great suffering that's talked about in the big book are part of the integral process of being able to become healed and, and you know, if you will, recovered. I've recovered a life, and I find that that's part of what the life was there all the time waiting for me. Thank you all so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay. Um, let's let's do this. Um, if folks are comfortable, it says we can choose one of three. Circle on up. Go. Let's just circle up. And uh, it says that actually we can do the Lord's Prayer as one of the three. Um, I haven't done that one in a group yet, so let's try.
Uh, he has a song that one of many he's written called Colors, and that was the song that came out right at the end close. So we say things don't happen by coincidence. Yeah. I'd like to say I planned that, but you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.